a lot of times people have in their head, oh, I have to live out in the country. I need to go live in an off-grid cabin somewhere. But we have the apartment homesteaders. We literally have people who live in an apartment and they are homesteading as much as they can. There's so much you can do if you just tell yourself, I'm going to figure out and I'm going to do what I can with where I am right now instead of saying like, oh, I don't have the perfect scenario or I can't do anything. I live in a city in an apartment. There's really a lot that you can do once you flip that switch in your mind. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hello, Mother. Hello, Emma. Welcome to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is so fun when we get to record in person. Yes, we are out at the farm and we're sitting on the porch and it's a beautiful evening. It's been raining off and on all day, a lot of thunderstorms. So it's a a moist, cool night and the fireflies are out and it's just really a beautiful evening. It's so pleasant, everyone. Yes, the I breeze. Wish you could all be here with us. Yes. So we're excited because we just started a new season in the Almanac, which is always just really fun. It's really fun for us to come up with these things and create them kind of in the weeks leading up to the season and then we launch it with the season. And for me, I love doing the playlists. It's a really fun process for me. It's become a little ritual almost. Yeah. It's a really fun way to express how I'm feeling about the seasonal shift. And to be quite honest, I really dig this summer playlist. I've been listening to it a lot. Yeah. And actually... I came up with a playlist for this season as well. Oh, good. Are we going to share it in the Almanac? Yeah. So <laughs> so it's a bonus playlist for the Almanac members. Heck yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, embrace. That's the theme for the summer. And I tell you what, we're definitely embracing her right now. Yes. Oh, wow. She's awesome. So have you embraced summer this week, Emma, would you say? Basil. Basil. You mean like picking it, cooking with it, what? Well, I don't grow basil yet. I want to. I did get a basil plant at the farmer's market. I also got a bunch of basil so I could cut it up and eat it. Mm -hmm. So I've done both. So I've got my little basil plant, put her in the ground, hope she does okay. Then I also got a big bunch of basil and I've made basil tomato feta salad. Mm. I've chopped up and put it in other salad, put it in some pasta salad. I don't know. What else do you do with basil? So many things. Pesto, soup, sandwiches. Yeah. I've been putting it straight on a cracker with cheese or something on top. It's just such a summer taste. And also when you have a bunch of it, just stick it in a a jar or bowl or something and put it on your kitchen table and it fills the kitchen with this wonderful aroma. 
Oh, that's such a good idea. Yeah. It just makes a wonderful little centerpiece and smells so good. And you, I'm assuming you pick it because it's growing all over here, huh? Actually, I've been getting my basil at the CSA because the basil in my garden is still rather small. Oh. To tell you the truth, full disclosure, I have a hard time growing basil. I don't know if it's something about the soil. I mean, it only gets so big. Yeah. You know, and I know basil plants can get like waist high and like bushes in the summer. Yeah. That hasn't happened for me in a while. So, Mm. well, at least you have the CSA. Yes. I need to do a little research too to see maybe what it is. Anyway. How have you been embracing summer? Well, I would say raspberries. Heck yes. Yeah. They do grow those very well. Yeah, they're really coming in now. And you start out, you know, you just you might get a handful a day and then a couple of handfuls and then a bowlful. And it just gets more and more for a couple of weeks and before it starts tapering off. But they're so delicious and so beautiful and just such a celebration of summer. And um, we've already had a couple of pies, which are awesome. And um, lucky, I just love them. She even clears little paths around her raspberry bushes. Yes. Make a little trail. Because it's so thick in there, you have to get way back in to get all the raspberries out of the back. And yeah, so I mow paths and it's fun. It's like a little little labyrinth back there. Well, we are really enjoying hearing from y'all in our dun-dun-dun. What do you think I'm going to say, Mom? The voicemails? Yes. You guys, we have the Good Dirt Podcast voicemail box. You can call and leave a voicemail anytime you want. The number is 443-459-1950. All you do is call it and you leave a voicemail and you can tell us what the good dirt means to you. You can ask us a question. You can tell us what's up. You can tell us anything. And we're just so excited. You know what? I think we should give them a little taste of the joys of leaving a voicemail. What do you think? Yes. Great idea. All right. Here we go, everyone. Hi there. My name is Star Hoff, and I am calling in from our homestead, which is called Hoff Hope Homestead in Hope, Alaska. And I just love your podcast so, so very much. And I wanted to share with you that the good dirt means to me intentionality. And what I mean by that is I flip on the good dirt podcast whenever I feel anxiety creeping in and it automatically slows down my heart rate and I am able to focus on what I want to be intentional about that day. And typically that leads me straight outside to my vegetable garden where I put the Good Dirt podcast on loud over my speakers, and I just zen out for an hour or two hours or however long. So thank you for the Good Dirt podcast. This is Star Hoff from Hope, Alaska at the Hoff Hope Homestead. Star! Oh, thank you, Star. Isn't that great? I love that so much. Star. From Alaska. So that was Star Hoss on Instagram. Her handle is Star, S T A. R-R-E-H-A-A-S from the Haas Hope Homestead in Hope, Alaska. Star, that was just the sweetest message voicemail. We are so happy to hear from you. And we're so happy that our podcast calms you down. That's really sweet. (laughs) I know. I love it. And, you know, these messages just mean so much to us. So all of you out there, if you think, oh, I might call or just know that we just really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much, Star. Yeah, it really does mean a lot. I mean, it's so nice sitting here talking with you, Mom, of course. But yeah, there's like a lot that goes behind the scenes. 
We have a great editor who helps us actually make it sound good. We do a lot of research ahead of time, doing the interviews, and the end product that y'all get is such a labor of love. And I want it to feel like a two-way conversation, and I hope that it does, but we don't get to hear from y'all. So for us, this voicemail is like a whole new world. We're so excited. So thank you, Star. Yeah. It means a lot. And everyone else who's calling in, we just can't say thank you enough. Right. And one of you is going to win a slow living consult with Emma and I, which is also really great fun. Right. So you have until July 11th, which is in just a couple of days, in order to be eligible to win a free slow living consult with us. However... You're welcome to submit to call in and leave a voicemail at any time for any Anytime. Anytime. We're going to leave this up, right, Emma? This is not just for... Oh, yeah. Forever. Forever. Y'all better call us and tell us what's going on in your life. We'll think of other fun things to do with the voicemails. Yeah. We're just so excited. Maybe we'll do another slow living consult. Who knows? Well, today, let's get on with that interview. Yeah, I think we should. This is a good one. So we have Melissa K. Norris on here from Pioneering Today. And Melissa is a fifth-generation home center who believes in keeping the old ways alive and that food shouldn't come in box packages with ingredient lists a mile long you can't pronounce. Yeah. She lives on a 15-ish acre farm in Washington State with her husband and two children, and they raise 100% of their own meat from organic grass-fed beef. They've got a flock of hens for fresh eggs, meat chickens that they butcher themselves, and organic pork. They also (laughs) raise 75% of their own fruit and 50% of the vegetables they eat year-round. So she is just a superwoman. Yeah, so Melissa's passion is to teach others the skills of the homesteading and simple life movement, no matter where you live. Food grown at home, mason jars filled with homegrown goodness lining the shelves, homemade soaps and cleaners made from natural ingredients, natural remedies, and easy farm fresh meals are all the subject of her blog, two books, and a podcast. Well, we certainly love chatting with her, and we hope you all enjoy listening. She's such an inspiration, but like in a really accessible way. So if that intro just intimidated you, have no fear, because she's great. She's going to tell you how to do it. And so here she is, Melissa Norris, talking all about modern homesteading. I'm Melissa K. Norris, and I'm a fifth-generation homesteader. But what's really funny about using the term homesteader is it's becoming a bit trendy or something that more people identify with and use that word to say what they're doing of living a self-sufficient life for as, as much as possible. But it's really funny because when I was growing up, I'm 41, so when I was growing up, we were just lived as country folk. Like you grew a big garden and you preserved food and we raised our own cattle for beef because my dad worked in the woods and he didn't have time for hunting because hunting here, unfortunately, is not always a sure thing. I mean, I know hunting is never a sure thing, but we have less deer population here where we live. And so for him, the cattle were a sure thing. Like they maybe had something, you know, we had to feed all winter long and deal with, but when he needed meat, It wasn't spending hours out hunting and you might not come back with something. So it's funny because I grew up that way and a lot of people where I live, because we are quite rurally, would do a lot of elements of that. So we didn't even really use the term homesteading, but that is definitely how I was brought up and as people identify with homesteading now, which 
is also interesting because, you know, modern homesteading uses elements of farming. And of course, homesteading historically, no, no, the government is not giving out free land anymore, unfortunately, with you getting to sit on it mm-hmm. an improvement. Like I wish, you know, I wish, mm-hmm. but no. So, and it means different things and is at different levels to different people. So how I came from it is I did have that, that background. So I grew up, we had our own grass fed beef. We did organic simply because we couldn't afford to buy any of the pesticides or anything that people were using. So we were organic before like organic was cool, but it was really just because we didn't have the money to purchase any of those things. And we had to raise as much as we could ourselves uh, just in order to survive and in order to feed the livestock that we did have. But I got married young. I was 18 when and my husband and I are still married, but I got married young. Congrats. And so set out like on our own. And, and part of it's funny because at 18, like you still have quite a bit of naivety, but you don't necessarily know it. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. when we got married, yeah. um, I'm just like, oh, well, we need to have a garden. And he's like, oh, are, like you want to do a garden? And he's like, okay, well, my grandparents did a garden. My parents didn't, but I can borrow my grandpa's rototiller and, you know, that kind of thing. So we just kind of just stepped into it. We both were working full-time jobs, commuting and stuff. And so we had a summer garden. I would can green beans for a year's worth and make a little bit of jam here and there. But that was really it. We didn't have livestock at that point. I wasn't, you know, making of my any like own homemade soap or, or sourdough or really any of those things. And then, so when my daughter was born, who is my only daughter and also my youngest child, we have two kids. I had really bad stomach acid and GERD. And so I was on max dose of prescription medications, proton pump inhibitors, and then also one it kind of acts like a chemical band-aid. Basically, you take it on an empty stomach and it will coat your stomach so then you can eat and not be in a lot of pain if you have active ulcers. But that means like almost six times a day because some you have to take with food, some are not with food. Anyways, it was just a nightmare and it really wasn't quelling it. I was still having a lot of erosion and a lot of pain, a lot of issues. So I went and had my stomach and esophagus iodata endoscope. And when they were in there, they ended up biopsying a portion of my upper stomach and an area on my esophagus. And at that time I was only 29, you know, I had two young kids and it came back thankfully I did not have cancer, but I did have erosion and I had cellular change that was just beginning and usually when you start to have cells change, then it can progress into cancer or become precancerous and then cancerous down the road. So the specialist just said you should not have been on these medications at the doses you were on for as long as you have been on them. I'm actually am like shocked that you were allowed to stay on them at that. You have to come off of them and there is no other medications. Like you're done. The only way you're going to be able to figure this out is by the food that you eat. And I'm like, okay. So I remember driving home. We live r- pretty rurally. It's about, it was like a 45 minute drive home. And I had this big stack of papers that he gave me and I was like, it felt like a very decisive moment. Like that was my chance to try to figure things out, to be able to be here longer, or I could continue on the path that I was doing and it would probably progress to a less than desirable results. So that was really Mm. my kickoff into looking at what is in our food, how is our food grown, if it's food that we're not producing ourselves, you know, and how does food interact in our body, just all of the things. And that led to us just massively growing as much as we could ourselves. We were already using grass-fed practices. We were raising our own beef at that time, but we weren't doing our own uh, meat birds or pork or anything else. So we now produce pretty much all of our Mm -hmm. own meat uh, using grass-fed organic practices. And we went from doing just a summer vegetable garden and having like a year's worth of green beans on the shelf to over 
60% of our vegetables and probably 70% of our fruit we produce just here on our homestead ourselves. And then of course, it's like looking at your cleaning wow. supplies, right? Like what are you putting on your body? Yeah. What are you using in your home? Like it, it was just like this cascade and mm -hmm. you would, you know, get one thing done and move to the other, which was exciting. But it was also very fascinating to see, you know, how much all of this stuff works together Yet as a society, as a whole, we actually don't have very much awareness. There's a lot more now. I mean, I'm going back like 12 years ago at that point, but yeah. you have to kind of hunt for it and search for it and do research. That really led to our journey of being much more self-sufficient and really like jumping in. Because for me, it felt like this may sound a little dramatic, but it, truthfully, it felt like for me, it was like a life or death thing. Like I either figure this out and we go yeah. hard. It's good motivation because it is hard when you're doing, you know, so much of this stuff. And and we did it all while still working, you know, day jobs, sometimes two jobs. My husband still works off the homestead and the farm. So yeah, so oh, wow. that's kind of, I was born into it, but then I had to learn a lot and go way deeper than than what I had been taught as a child, but it was the foundation that allowed me to go deeper as we have done. Yeah, that's so fascinating that you were raised that way. And yet, do you think the root of all that stuff was, you said, the medications that you were on for too long? Or had you just not had that appreciation for that awesome food you'd eaten and just had kind of gone into the more industrial food in your 20s? or something? Like how- Like how taking it for granted? Or yeah. It's a great question. Yeah, some of it definitely. And two, it was like, you know, at 18, I went to working full-time as a pharmacy tech and having my own household. And so there's a reason that a society, we have gravitated towards convenience foods. Mm -hmm. Because most, yeah. like I look back at my mom was a, a stay-at-home mom. I mean, she worked a lot being a stay-at-home mom, but she was at home. And my grandmother, for the most part, was. And so when you are not at home and you're gone, you know, for eight, nine, 10 hours, depending on how long your commute is in your work shift, it's a lot harder to cook from scratch because you're not there to get stuff prepped. And by the time you get home, like I would get home between mm -hmm. 630 and seven o'clock at night and then have kids that need to get ready for school the next day or babies, you know, depending on where they were at in their age, like doesn't leave you a lot of time to put a totally from scratch meal on the table. So yeah. I would cook things, but it was like so bad. They used to make, I don't know if they still do because it's been too many years since I've even locked down that aisle of the grocery store. They used to make casseroles in a box. I'm not kidding you. Yeah. yeah. It would just yeah. sit on the shelf and you would just open a can of this and a can of that and a packet of this and you just would mix it together and you'd put it in the oven and you were cooking it yourself, right? Because you're yeah. putting it in the oven and heating it. Yeah. You're assembling, assembling it. But yeah. I mean, good night when you look at the ingredients and the preservative, just all the things that are in there. So mm -hmm. part of it was getting back to cooking with traditional ingredients too, like not using, for me, I made the choice to not use any genetically modified ingredients or hydrogenated fats like Crisco, canola oil, yeah. you know, anything with high fructose corn syrup in it and the amount of food dye alone that is in a lot of our foods that we don't even realize. So I was becoming an ingredient mm -hmm. sleuth and then mm -hmm. it was like, okay, these are products that I'm not going to purchase anymore and use mm -hmm. and finding some alternatives. And then it was like, okay, if I can't find a tomato sauce that is done without added sugar and without high fructose corn syrup and in a glass jar that I can afford and one has ingredients that are what I need, then I got to figure out how to grow that myself and preserve it so that I have that. Now, to be fair, like from 12 years ago, there's actually a lot more available if you do wish to purchase it off the store shelf that is better ingredients. But back then there wasn't. And I would say more affordable too. It's becoming more affordable. I think from what I noticed. Yeah. I still have to say, man, like once you've had homegrown vine ripened tomato sauce that you have canned yourself. Oh, like 
there is no going back. <laughs> right. And yeah. So in the 90s, when I raised my kids, the word out there was just do whatever you have to do to get by. Don't worry. The kids get what they need to eat. Convenience is everything. Convenience and your sanity. That was the message. And so you're talking about the casseroles in the box. You know, I was really big on the. I hate to admit it now, but this is full disclosure, right? Yeah. The casseroles from, you know, from Sam's or whatever that you could just, you know, stick in the oven. And, you know, you would look on the, I, I was big on ingredients too, but I have really changed from then to now what I'm looking for. And what I was looking for back then, and this is so funny, was whether or not it was low fat. Oh, yes. From the 90s. Yes. Uh If it was low (laughs) fat, I thought it was healthy. Okay. I have to tell you something. Don't feel bad. Okay. So I graduated (laughs) high school in 1999. But the reason I'm sure this was early 2000s and I was working at the pharmacy and I kid you not, I had a package of, you know, like the red vines, the red licorice. Yes. But I was, because I grew up in the 90s as a teenager, I was very much entrenched, just what you're saying. It was low fat, low fat, low fat. And so I was eating that. Yeah. I remember one of my coworkers looked at me and she's like, that's what you're eating? Because I told her I wanted to lose some weight or something. And she's like, yeah. And 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 I'm like, there's no fat in this. Now I look back and I'm like, oh, (laughs) oh, sis. (laughs) But yeah, no, that that was definitely a thing. It was was put out through the media Mm -hmm. and- and and so, we, so yes, you know all there. those chemicals and stuff were just um you know just kind of ignored that and you know of course there were maybe some vegetables listed in the ingredients okay this is good it's low fat it has these things in it and all those big long words that mean it was made in a lab somewhere I'm not worried about that but now I'm worried about that <laughs> and uh, I made a total 180 you know from those days when I was raising my children. Unfortunately, that's where I was. But I wish I knew then in in the (laughs) 90s what I've learned now about just plain old real food, just real food, just basic. Well, it makes sense why we all have food allergies now, you know? Oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's fascinating is I think because, and again, modern society as a whole, I mean, we are making, you know, like I know that there's definitely people out there is like, oh no, I always like follow, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But as a whole, modern society, at least in the United States, we have been eating crap, excuse my French, for so long that we don't even realize that we do feel as bad as we do until Mm -hmm. you do switch. And then you're like, oh, oh my goodness, this doesn't ache anymore. Or my digestion just feels better. I didn't even know that it felt off. Or I didn't even realize that I had inflammation or an ache here or there Mm -hmm. until it's not there. And you're like, and then when you do eat something that's not so great, mm-hmm. you immediately tell the difference because you're mm-hmm. so much more in tune and you know what you should be feeling like mm-hmm. when you are eating things that your body can process and is not putting you into inflammation and all those things. But to your point, I think that so many of us for so many years have just felt bad not knowing. Yeah, I mean, most people are not intentionally eating stuff that's going to make them feel bad or giving yeah. it to their kids. Like, Mary, I know you weren't, you know, I know, yeah. you, you know, you were trying to do the very best you had with the knowledge that you had at the time. I firmly believe that nobody's trying to do anything, you know, bad, but we just don't realize how much it's affecting us until we make that switch. So I love this idea of making a switch and then the switch that you made and talking about convenience because for someone listening in, 
it's kind of like you went from the convenient thing to the most inconvenient thing, which is for you amazing what you're doing, but it can feel really inaccessible. And I just wonder kind of- Oh, you mean like growing and canning and-, and all Yeah, she's raising her own meat and yeah, and all of the amazing that things that you were saying. inaccessible to most people. Yes. Yeah. And I know you're an educator in this space and, and you talk about this all day, but I guess I'm wondering sort of what you say to the person who, who might- really appreciate and want to do all these things, but it just feels so overwhelming and inaccessible. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's also a great point because you're looking at me like 13 years into this hardcore, but actually 23 years from when we, our very first garden spot, right? So that's a long span. So yes, someone coming in the beginning of their journey is not going to be, you can't compare that to where I'm at now because that's 23 years of building. But Mm -hmm. What I will say is two things. One, we've kind of been lied to by marketing to be thought, to think that it's too hard to make it or it's going to take forever. Now, it depends on what you're making. Yes, there are some things that are going to take some time, but I'll tell you what, there's actually a lot of things that I can whip up faster than I can go to the store and get them by the time you count your time in the parking lot and walking in and standing in line and da 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 you know? (laughs) But to be fair, what I like to tell people is to look at first, what is it that you're eating on the most consistent basis? So what are you consuming? You know, if not daily, like every other day, you're eating a lot of it and that you know is not a great source or not a great version of whatever that food may be. Mm-hmm. And look at replacing that first. So that may be a better store-bought version. That, you know, that could definitely be where you're making a switch to, you know, grass-fed organic butter instead of margarine or, you know, whatever that Mm -hmm. might be for you. Look there first and then either find a better store-bought version of that item and or, which this is my preferred, I'll be honest, is figure out how to make it at home. Because I guarantee you anytime you're making it at home, at least in my experience, it always is cheaper if I'm comparing apples to apples in the store-bought version. And it usually tastes better. Now, there could always be a little bit of a learning curve, especially like if with baking bread and that type of stuff. Yeah. But just pick one because if you're picking something that is not a great version already and it's something you're eating on a very consistent basis and you're only focused on getting that one thing to a better version, whatever that looks like for you, it's still going to have a larger impact on your health than if you just eat one healthy thing once a week. If it's something you're consuming on a consistent basis – It's going to have an impact on your health and it will have an impact on your budget if you decide to make it yourself and that. And then once that just becomes part of your routine, either buying that new item or ideally if you're making it, it just becomes part of everyday life. It becomes a habit. Then move on to the next thing. Just add in one thing at a time and, Mm -hmm. you know, really quickly, it's going to add up. And usually one thing then leads to another. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it'll just naturally have that effect. But that way you're not throwing everything out of your pantry and trying Mm -hmm. to replace it all at once because that is expensive and that is overwhelming. Like, where do I find this, et cetera. And it can Mm -hmm. be hard on a budget. And then also if you're making it too, because time-wise, there's so much like, you know, the condensed cans of like cream, cream of chicken, cream of whatever. Like a lot of us will use use those in a lot of different recipes, but you can make a homemade condensed cream of soup. I have timed it and I have had readers time it because they had to be to work by a certain point and had to make it and get it in the crock pot before they left for work. Four minutes. You literally can make that in four minutes and you can't even go start your car in four minutes in most places and get out your driveway. 
haven't bought condensed cream of soup in I couldn't tell you how many years. I don't know, probably a decade. Wow. But it's just so fast. So there's a lot of things that we think of that we buy. It's like we've been trained one way, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just questioning that. I also love how you kind of, in doing that, you're also sort of reframing what convenience is. The lesson of understanding that it's sometimes actually more convenient to get in your car and drive to the store and park. And at least in this, I live in the city, so it's always such a thing. Or you don't drive and you figure out how to get there. And then the packaging that the thing comes in and then coming home and unload. And for some reason, that feels like it's easier than like, for example, a great example in our house, we both love making mayonnaise. And oh my gosh, it's the easiest thing to make. Right? If you have an immersion blender. Yes. It's like comparing one egg plus avocado oil plus, you know, immersion blender, 30 seconds. Two, oh my God, I have to go to the store to get mayonnaise. Yeah. It's mind blowing. <laughs> Life changing, we say. Yeah. <laughs> I will yeah. never buy a jar of mayonnaise again. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. No, and it's just those little things. I think, honestly, for a lot of us too, there's so many things that we don't even realize that you can make at home. And everything mm-hmm. in the store, okay, with the exception of like Doritos, you can make chips at home, but I don't, you know, like uh, some of those sort of things. But really, everything yeah. at the store at one point was made at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so often we don't even realize, like, oh, that, especially if you didn't have it modeled for you. Somebody wasn't making that mm-hmm. at home. Like you don't even realize like the condensed cream soup. I'm like, oh, I could make that at home. It sounds silly, mm-hmm. but there were so many things I didn't realize, didn't even think about. I'm like, yes, of course you can make that at home. Like mustard. I mean, yeah. so many, so many oh, things. Mustard. And to the time argument, we like to talk about like, well, what are you exchanging that time for? So you can do more doom scrolling on Instagram or <laughs> I don't know. That's like an extreme yeah. example. I know people have really busy lives, but when you really break it down and you're really understanding where you're spending your time. Mm-hmm. The time in the kitchen is super satisfying. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. It, I'll say in the 90s, what I was trading time for was time in the car so I could get the kids places. And that's probably still true for a lot of people today. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, looking back on that, there were probably things I could have done had I known, had I been more educated. If I had had Pioneering Today Academy to show me some of these simple little trade outs. And so, you know, I didn't have to go to the big box store and buy all these ready-made things. And the other thing is I wanted to say to your point about whatever we see in the store, someone used to make, I think Michael Pollan in one of his books, he makes the point that food is one thing that the mass marketplace is always having to kind of reinvent because food is food, like potatoes are potatoes. And then someone thought of potato chips. So then potato chips kind of got a bit of whole thing. So then you have to, you have to think of another twist on potato chips. So you add, you know, you add the vinegar and onion or whatever. And I think of when I was growing up, these new things were coming out that we thought were super cool. You know, uh, like there was Fritos, corn snacks, and then, then bugles. And then there was, you know, all the, they're all like the same thing. It's all the same thing. And they just put it in a different form and a different package and a different commercial. And so people continue to be interested in it. However, having said all that, when you go back to like really just what the food is and okay, a corn snack, bugles are a corn snack, Fritos are a corn snack. There's all kinds of cool, easy things to make that are in that vein that, you know, don't cost the money, that don't have the packaging, that don't have the nasty oils in them and all that kind of stuff. But that That's exactly the kind of thing you talk about, isn't it, in Pioneering Today? Yeah. Well, like with my Pioneering Today podcast, definitely. And inside the Pioneering Today Academy is, you know, like the courses that walk you through, yeah. you know, doing all of this. And also what's interesting is 
I don't know about you guys, but when I move out of snacking, because what we're talking about, a lot of the food that's marketed that way is snack food. Yeah. Really. And when you eat a meal that has got the food in its whole version, Mm -hmm. where it's not been processed down like those, it's so much more filling. I don't know about you guys, but most of the time I don't feel the need to snack if I'm actually eating a meal that has whole foods and is high in really good grass-fed omega-3 fats, you know, that kind yeah, of stuff. Fats. Yeah. I don't find that I need to snack or I need to have as many convenience items like I did in the past. So I think that's interesting too, because I, I think as we process the food in yeah. order to make it a convenience food and so that it can be shelf-stable, you're having to take out the moisture in most things because moisture, as we know, with like with home food preservation, moisture in a lot of things, that's why dehydrating works so well. It, and they add different flavorings, MSG, not so much anymore, but it can have different names. There's a lot of things that actually chemically trigger us to not feeling full when we eat those foods or to needing more of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so to return to my point, all those things with all those additives and all those things that are designed to make us want to eat more. I mean, it's designed that way. So you'll buy them and keep eating them. Yeah. So, you know, with all those, like just say corn snacks, for example, there's really no beating just really good popcorn. Oh, yes. (laughs) I'm a popcorn junkie. Yeah. (laughs) Homemade popcorn. I grow dill specifically for pickles and popcorn. I put dill with garlic powder and salt on my popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. So there's your corn snack. I mean, Yum. oh my God, that sounds Wait, so good. That's so smart. I haven't put dill on popcorn, but I do love putting u- nutritional yeast on popcorn. It kind of tastes yeah. cheesy. It does. It gives a really yeah. good flavor. Yeah. yeah. So there's your corn snack right there is popcorn. And who needs bugles? You know, you can do that. And that's so quick and in your home. And so, yeah. and we had this joke growing up, we'd see something in the store no, just like a like a tchotchke or something. And my mom would go, oh, we can make that. And it was always like this thing. And I was like, oh, mom, but not the same thing. But <laughs> but it's just so different when you actually do do it yourself. Like now that I am an adult and I'm on my own doing it, it's just so satisfying. It's like you get this autonomy back. So you just feel so good about yourself. It, it would just excite me. I, you know, I did a lot of my own innovation and stuff on things like that. And lots of times I was on the wrong path. I didn't have Pioneering Today Academy. <laughs> to help me along. And lots of things ended up like cookies. They ended up, quote, hockey pucks, unquote. Yeah. And, and there were <laughs> That's our name for my mom's cookies. Yeah. But now, you know, sometimes they were really good. And now I've gotten way better at it. <laughs> there is definitely learning curves. Everybody has learning <laughs> curves. So yes, you're not alone. There has been things that have flopped. In fact, okay, it's really funny. When I first tried doing sourdough. Oh my gosh. I actually had a lady at our church. So my son was in school and I'd make him his little sandwiches, you know, that he would take his cold lunch to school. And she finally pulled me aside at church. She was the janitor and she's like, I don't know how to tell you this, but every day your son throws away his sandwich uneaten. (laughs) And I'm like, and I felt so bad yeah. because I'm like, and so I asked him, I'm like, because at first I'm like, why yeah. is he doing that? And then I'm like, what is this poor kid eating? Like, I know what's in his lunch and there were some other things in there, but not anything, like it wouldn't be enough filling. And she goes, and yeah. so I asked him and he told me he didn't like your bread, but he didn't know how to tell you. She goes, and so, but I thought you should know. 
And I'm like, thank you so much for telling me. So we were in the car on the way home and I'm like, buddy, you need to tell me because he didn't want to hurt my feelings, but he really didn't like the sourdough bread. So I'm like, I either have to figure out a way to get my sourdough to not taste sour and to be lighter so that it tastes more like a yeast white flour version. Yeah. And two is like, okay, it's probably more important that the kid eats if he's literally just throwing it away because he dislikes it that much. So anyways, I did finally conquer sourdough, but it's now a joke because now he's <laughs> almost 17. No, he just turned 17. His birthday was this week. Yeah. And he's like, he'll ask me when I'm serving something, is it sourdough? And I'm like, can you just taste it first? Yeah. So I make sourdough brownies, but I didn't tell him they were sourdough because he has like in his head, he's got this thing. Yeah. He's yeah. like, yeah, I don't like this. So so my sourdough brownies for the past like four years, anytime I make brownies, they're sourdough, but I've never told him. And he's like, mom, I don't know what you did to your brownie recipe, but these are the best ever. And I'm like, oh, thank you. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I guess when you think about it, the word sourdough might not be all that appetizing to a kid. I never really thought yeah. about that. You know, <laughs> sourdough? Yeah, really? Yeah. So you may have started out with bad cookies, Mary. I started yeah. out with bread that my child literally threw, threw away. <laughs> I love that so much. I want to try sourdough brownies. Is that yeah. on your website? Can I look that up? Or is that in Pioneering Today Academy? <laughs> the sourdough brownies are in the academy, but I do have a lot of other sourdough recipes, including how to make a sourdough starter that does give you good sourdough results and doesn't taste so sour and dense that your children throw them away. <laughs> I do have tutorials on the website at bliskaynorris.com and lots of recipes to use. Just not actually, I don't think the brownie recipe is on the website. I think it's just inside the course. So Okay. Well, tell us about that and like what that yeah, is for people us. who are listening. Go into all that. Yes. So after my miserable failure with sourdough, I'm like, okay, I've got to figure this out if I really want to do it. And it has to actually be yeah edible because kids don't care if it's healthy, if it tastes bad. I can eat stuff that I don't think necessarily is that great knowing it's healthy for me, but they're not. So I'm like, okay, how do I get my sourdough mm -hmm. starter to one, taste good and not taste too sour mm -hmm. and actually give like light and fluffy breads that aren't dense? And so it took me a while, but after I got that perfected, then I'm like, okay, I can't be the only one mm -hmm. who's been struggling with sourdough starter and these results. So I started sharing the process and I had people like, oh my gosh, like this is so good. Like this, I didn't having to use a ton of flour to maintain the sourdough starter. So I figured out a way that worked that I got the results I wanted without having to feed it like, you know, multiple cups of flour every day, et cetera. So after I did that, then I shared like, okay, here's how I figured out how to make my sourdough starter. This has been working really well for me for a number of years. And then people are like, yeah. oh, okay, great. But now how do you make all the other stuff with it? So I have how to make the sourdough starter and discard recipes like sourdough pancakes and waffles, you know, and all that kind of stuff on the website and bread and then a sandwich bread. And then I have like the full sourdough course that like walks you through everything like the sourdough brownies and how to convert mm -hmm. your own family favorite recipes to sourdough and actually like get them to turn out. And then I have a master sourdough dough that you just make up and will sit in the fridge for so many days. And then you can pull it out. You can make oh. bread with it, but you can actually turn it into cinnamon rolls. You can turn it into pizza dough. So for those people who are like, hey, I don't have time to stretch and fold and make a dough of sourdough mm -hmm. that it has to sit for like 24 to 48 hours before I can actually bake bread. That's where I found things like where I can make it up ahead of time and I can put it in the fridge. And then I've got this dough for a week whenever I'm ready to make something out of it. I can just pull it out 
make it and it's in the oven baking and whatever the bake time is, depending on what you're making, like, it, you know, I'm pulling it out of the oven hot and fresh, completely homemade mm-hmm. without all of this hands-on time, like when I need it. So that's really how I've evolved a lot mm-hmm. of stuff actually that's in the academy and the way that I cook because I was commuting for so many years and then running a full homestead and, and all of that. I don't have time to spend hours a day, honestly, in the kitchen, yeah. but I'm not willing to sacrifice either. So how do I make this work? So once I figure it out, then I share it. <laughs> So is the Pioneering Today Academy mostly cooking? No, there's definitely cooking in there, but there is how to do a garden from planning, seed starting, direct sowing, raised beds, like all the things. It basically takes you through an entire year if you are looking at being self-sufficient and, and homesteading. And so there's a full gardening course, but it's all done for like is a backyard family because a lot of information that we find is either like large farms, which works great, Mm -hmm. or if you are at home all the time, that's Mm -hmm. awesome. But for so many years- It's a different thing. It's different. And so my husband still commutes and I was commuting. So neither one of us were home during the day, Monday through Friday for the most part. And we were still raising all of these animals and increasing our food production. And so I had to figure out systems to make it work. And you know, we wow. only had two kids, so we didn't have a, a lot of kids to help, which also means we didn't have to produce as much food, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But the kids were in public school. I wasn't homeschooling. I still don't homeschool. And so I'm like, how do I figure out that we can do all of this when we're not at home? I need systems. And there's so many people who do want to do all of this that can't stop their job and do it full time. Yeah. And some people transition to that. And that's awesome and amazing. Like there's an absolute, that's a wonderful goal if that's what you want, but that's not reality for everybody, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it. You just have to do it a little bit differently and you can still have fabulous success. So really, I guess it was like a great thing that, you know, for almost mm-hmm. 20 years, I did work a day job and had to commute as we were doing all of this because it forced me to figure out very systematic ways and to really streamline things in order to do it. And so it's actually of great benefit now, even though I do work from home now, for those who do have to commute or aren't at home during the day, like there are ways that you can make it work. That's amazing. That's so valuable. I mean, people that you know, homesteading's like this, you know, this dream, but they'll never get there because they're tied to this, this routine. But, you know, you're just out there saying, no, there's another way. And I, I love that so much. That's just so, just really great information. So I would love to hear more about like, okay, a couple of things here. What about the natural medicine piece of it? I saw, do you, how do you incorporate that into your life? Yeah, well, that's great. And honestly, like food is the first thing. One, that's where I started, but, but it really is yeah. true. Like mm-hmm. natural medicine and herbs can do a lot and I do use them. But if you have a very broken system by the foods that you're eating and consuming, then you're not going to get as good results. And our health really is based upon the food that we eat. And I have to tell you, if I hadn't experienced it in the way that I had, like I literally by changing the foods that I ate was able to get Mm -hmm. off of medications I had been on for years that weren't quelling the symptoms that I had literally I just changed the food that I ate and I was able to experience Mm -hmm. healing. You could have told me it before I went through it and I would have been like, you're whatever. But having witnessed that, I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. this alone made a drastic change for me and my health. What if I now apply Mm -hmm. natural medicine? Because, and also let me preface saying, even if you eat the cleanest diet ever, 
you are still going to get sick. It is not like a 100% sure thing that you're never going to come down with something because that would be a, a falsity. I mean, there are people that eat very, very clean and they still get cancer. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I don't want to portray clean eating as going to fix everything because it won't, but it does definitely help a lot of things. So mm-hmm. that was after I went through that, then I'm like, okay, well, how can I use herbal medicine and natural remedies to to supplement and to aid us, like especially with cold and flus. And part of that journey for me was I saw what the food did. And then uh, my daughter actually has a blood clotting disorder called von Willebrand's disease. And so she can't take a lot of over-the-counter medicines. Like if she has a fever or a cold, she can't take Advil. She can't take it. Like there's a lot of things that she can't take. And so as a mom, I'm like, what do I do for my child when she's sick? Because the only thing she can take is Tylenol and it really doesn't do anything. It didn't reduce her fever anyways. You know, there was a lot, it didn't really seem to help with her pain when she was sick, et cetera. So I'm like, okay, well, let me start looking at herbal medicine, but also knowing as I was a pharmacy tech, which gives me no credentials as far as using natural remedies and herbs, because they're not something that's used in our modern health system in the United States. But I did know that there was interactions because certain medications, when we were giving them Mm -hmm. to patients, we would say, do not take this with, you know, this herb or this with that. So also knowing that she had a blood clotting disorder and like, I do want to be able to use herbs, but I have to see how these herbs actually interact and work in the body because if they have anything to do with the clotting factor, then she can't have them either. So I had to approach it from a more clinical background, I guess, for for lack of a better term. And so that's how I really got into natural medicine. But then it was just like, it was amazing. I mean, we have so many herbs and we do actually have documentation on that. You have to go deep. Germany actually uses herbs in their practice. Like you go to a pharmacy and you have the Germany commission and there's a set of herbs that are used there. Like we would use Tylenol. And so they have much, much larger base database to see are there side effects? Is this effective? How does this work? And for years. So when I was a pharmacy tech through our pharmacy, we actually had access to the German e-commission. So I was able to look things up. It was great. But then when I quit my job at the pharmacy, I actually pay for my own subscription so that I can still access that. Oh, good. (laughs) That's so interesting. I've never heard that. Yeah. It was so fascinating. And what I think was so interesting is there's so many herbs that actually have antiviral, because we're kind of told like, oh, there's not really anything you can take that much for a cold other than treating symptoms. And so there are herbs Mm -hmm. that definitely help with systems, but there's actually herbs that have antiviral properties specifically against certain strains of influenza or, you know, virus specific or even more broad mm-hmm. spectrum like antiviral. And so it was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, there's actually stuff that we can take that actually is antivirus that's natural. And we have you know a lot of data on dosing and safety and efficacy and on all of those things. And so anyway, so that was kind of my journey. And then my goal was, I tend to work by goals. Then my goal was like, okay, I want an herbal option for everything that you could come across when it comes to cold and flu season. And so I sat out to have all of that done for us. And then I had members in the Pioneer Today Academy, which is my membership. I was just speaking like, this is what we're doing. They're like, can you do a course on that? And I'm like, I guess so. And so then I had to Mm -hmm. research even further, you know, like you have to do even more and more research and stuff because I'm not a natural, I'm not a certified, you know, herbalist or or clinical herbalist or anything like that. So then we, yeah, really dove in even. So anyways, that's how we have the whole, the natural remedies and the practical home herbalism for cold and flu, which is of course inside the membership. It's also available independently, but that was kind of my journey into 
herbs and where we're at now with using. It, what's really fun too is like Mary, you were talking, you know, when your kids are little, I didn't grow up with herbalism in our family. It, it just wasn't, it wasn't something that my mom had been around. And so we, we didn't use it. But what's really cool is now, you know, my kids are teenagers, both of them actually, they just had birthdays. Anyhow, but like as they start to come down with something, that's what they ask for first. Like my 17-year-old son started had some cold symptoms last week and he's like, mom, can you make me some of that mm-hmm. tea? Or mom, do you have an oil for this? Or mom, do we have any Aww. of this? And I'm like, yes, yes, son, let me make you some tea. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. But it's exciting because even of if course. they don't keep up on it when they first leave the house, it's part of their foundation. So hopefully they'll come back to it if they don't keep it from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I really appreciate the way you frame it and emphasizing the fact that these are chemical compounds. They are powerful things. And you can't just go willy-nilly out there and say, oh, this looks like a good one or, you know, the jars in the drugstore and everything. These are real, these are chemical things and they do have interactions. They do have powerful properties. And, you know, we really need to to know what we're doing. And so, you know, consult someone that has experience and done the research and it's all of that before you try these things, obviously. But they are. Plants are just so amazingly powerful and useful. And I think, you know, more and more we're beginning to recognize that, whether or not it's part of our allopathic practices or traditions yet. Okay. So we're talking about herbal medicine or natural medicine, and we've talked about food. And what else do you include in pioneering today? It's a membership, right? You join and then you have access to what and what's in there and tell us all about it. Yeah. So it is a membership. So when you join, you get access to all of my courses. So there's the backyard gardening course that is, of course, a includes vegetables, also includes perennials. So growing your own orchard at home, berry bushes, again, for a backyard garden, because a lot of the stuff that you find when like you're wanting to put in an orchard and orchard care is for a large orchard. And Mm -hmm. some of those principles do apply still to a home orchard. A lot of it is a little bit different. So all done to the backyard gardener. And then we do have a livestock section. So chickens for eggs, meat birds, how to butcher them, raising beef cattle. I just got a milk cow last (gasps) week. So that will be coming after I've got a lot more experience. I don't teach on things I don't have experience on in yet. Hallelujah. And then we've got the full preserving. So canning, water bath canning, pressure canning, fermenting, dehydrating, freeze drying, root cellar techniques. What are all the ways that one can preserve food? <laughs> Salting. <laughs> all the things. And then we've got, of course, the the natural herbs, which has the practical home herbalism course. And then we're just starting a brand new course inside the membership on how to grow all of your own herbs. So we're doing an, a medicinal oh. herb garden, walking people through, you know, picking and customizing what they're going to have in theirs and then harvesting. Because a lot of times with the medicinal herbs, there's certain times mm-hmm. that you want to harvest to actually get the strongest medicinal properties from the plant. And that varies by plant. So so walking through that versus, you know, aerial parts versus roots and what the timing looks like on that, those types of things. And then we've got like our, our regular cooking course, so like cooking from the pantry, cooking from scratch. So there's all that in there. We have our whole bread and sourdough course. We've got, if you want to learn how to grind your own flour and bake with fresh ground mm-hmm. flour, then we go into that. We've got some gluten-free stuff. We have soap making. Wow. So really like your whole household and barnyard husbandry. (laughs) And so you get access to all of those courses. But the great thing about the membership, honestly, is our Pining Friends community. So it's the community forum that's on private. It's not on Facebook or any social media. Because living this lifestyle, there's so many facets of it. And 
you guys probably experience this too, like in your everyday real life, there's not a lot of people, even for me living in the country, there's not a lot of people who do it to the degree that we do. And so you really mm-hmm. need that support because sometimes it is hard. Like I know it's easy to romanticize and and it's easy to talk about the good things and there are so many good things, but like it's hard. It is hard work to mm-hmm. to grow things and to raise things and preserve things and cook things for scratch. Like all the things. Like there's definite seasons or you'll have a failure at something like Mary you and I shared we had failures with food, but So it's important to surround yourself with people who really get it. And what's also great is when you have over 1,700 people in a community, like they're like, hey, did you see this place is having a sale on canning lids or they're in stock or there's have it like this awesome. So you like, Mm. they're like deal finding for you, like in the things. So that's really great. And then I do live with the membership. Not only do you get access to the courses, but every month I go live. So if you're like, just tell me what to do this month, if I want this goal, Tell me what I need to do just this month so that I'm not overwhelmed and I can stay on pace and not miss something. Yeah. yeah. So then you get that aspect too of the lives. And then, oh, you wow. you know, having where you can ask your questions, even watching a video. I went through a lot of courses where I'm like, okay, but I still have this question. So then you have the opportunity to mm-hmm. actually ask that and get answers. So anyway, sorry, that was long-winded, but that's all the things within the Pioneering State Academy. So I'm assuming that you do all these things and that's why you're teaching on them and you make your own soap and you make your own, and that's really like everything you do. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Yes. I know. I I sometimes get exhausted thinking about it too. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, it is everything. And then occasionally like we'll bring in guest teachers. Like I don't do a lot of raised bed gardening because we Mm -hmm. do have space and acreage and our climate and the soil that we have is really great. But there are areas like we've got, you know, members who live with really rocky soil or live in like a desert arid climate or different things like that. And so I will bring in guest teachers and instructors that maybe have Mm -hmm. a bit more niche experience in, in a certain area than I do. So that's really fun too, because you do get to learn from me, but we also have guest instructors that will come in and teach too. And for you personally too, how many acres are you on and what's your layout like? Yeah. So we have 14.96 acres. We have three parcels that are all adjoined. So almost 15 acres, but like our home and garden is on just one acre. And then the actual garden space on that acre, that's actually like you know, plants edible, getting planted and or perennials is less than a half an acre. Now, of course, the livestock and stuff is out on other parts of the pasture, but all of our vegetable production and fruit production is just in our yard on about a, probably about a half an acre. Yeah. It doesn't take a lot of space to grow a lot of food. We we make that point over and over and we have a lot of guests on that speak to that a lot. And you know, people can even grow things on their patios and and that sort of thing. Yes. But one thing I really love about your Pioneering Today Academy is that it frames the whole homesteading thing in a way that's really, I think, more pertinent to today than it was for the homesteaders back in the 1800s. And that is that today we can homestead in more of a community. Mm-hmm. And it can be online community or it can be, you know, like you mentioned, going to the Homesteaders of America conference where you meet all these people. You know, back in 1830, when you had your 10 acres and a mule, you were out there by yourself, surrounded by what, you know, wilderness and all that. But today, you know, we can share ideas and get together and either virtually or in person. And it's just such a rich, rich area of learning and lifestyle. And um, I bet we know a lot of the same people. I bet we do. I, I'm sure we do. Uh, 
We were at the first Homesteaders of America conference when it was in Warrington. Do they still have it down there? Yes. it In Virginia? Yeah, it's in Virginia. They, well, they have two now. Oh. They've got the spring one that's in Tennessee, oh. and that's the end of April this year. It's usually around that month, and that's a smaller one. And then they have the larger one that's in October that's in Virginia, and I do believe it's at the Warren County Fairgrounds. I probably mispronounced it. Warrington? Yeah. That's- Anyhow, yes. That's <laughs> I'm like, I stayed there. I was there, but now I'm like, I don't remember it was on my GPS because I'm not from the area and I'm like, oh, please get me there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's grown a lot. It's re- it's grown a whole lot. Did you present there? Or were you one of the presenters? Yeah. Yeah. I presented last year in October and then I'm actually the one that's at the time that we're recording. This is just in a few weeks in Tennessee. I'll be presenting at that one as well. So oh. yeah, it was really fun to just see so many people from all walks of life. And I think yes. that's the interesting yeah. thing about modern homesteading is a lot of times people have in their head like, oh, I have to live out in the country or I need to go live in right. an off-grid cabin somewhere. But like we have the apartment homesteaders. Like we literally have people who live in an apartment and they are homesteading as much as they can. I mean, there's so much you can do with wherever you're at if you just tell yourself, I'm going to figure out and I'm going to do what I can with where I am right now instead of saying like, oh, I don't have the perfect scenario or I can't do anything. I live in a city in an apartment. There's really a lot that you can do once you flip that switch in your mind. Yeah, totally. I'm interested in what you think about the term slow living and if that means anything to you and if you think of yourself at all as someone who can practice slow living. I think that's really interesting. Yes and no, because like with homesteading, I'm like, I really have days that are slow. It was like this morning, I had to go out and I had to milk the cow. I had to get the meat birds fed and then, you know, washed up and then back in here to record the podcast. And then like today, I have to go run errands and then I've got to be back by a certain time. So, and even days where I'm just totally at home, even on the weekends, I don't feel like my days are really ever slow. There's a lot packed into them. However, there is seasons. And I think when you're living within the seasons of homesteading and really living by the seasons, like winter is typically a slower season, at least for us. And so I can lean into that. Whereas I know coming into spring, it is like get on and go. Like I was planting the the spring garden or cool weather crops yesterday. Like we put in 200 onions yesterday. Wow. So with slow living, I think a lot of times people think that means your days are slow. Like you have all of this time to just sit and I don't know, maybe twirl around in a prairie dress. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. 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 Right. But I put your feet up. Yeah. And, and that's not true. So if that's like the expectation you have going into it. You're going to be sorely disappointed. But I feel a better term is intentional living yes. instead of slow living in regards mm-hmm. to homesteading. Because when I'm out working and milking the cow, there is those moments where you're really in that moment mm-hmm. and you're appreciative of of this animal you're bonding with that animal and I don't get that same type of feeling or quality of milk when I go to the grocery store and just pick up a plastic jug you know of milk yeah so mm-hmm. I feel like there's a soul element and I know that sounds like airy fairy but I feel no. like it's intentional and there's a soul element of it but I don't feel like it's slow yeah yeah. 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 We talk about that a lot. Like slow living doesn't really have to do with speed or how busy you are. It, it has way more to do with your intention, as you say, intentional living and the choices that you make. And also in being present in the moment, like you said, when you're truly present, 
I think time doesn't exist, right? It yes. just slows that slows down time. Yeah. So that's kind of like how it makes sense to me, I guess. And also like I think the opposite of slow living is when you get to the end of the day and you're like, what even happened today? Like you're just so not present at all that your life just like rushes by you. But when you live this way, when you live seasonally, when you live more connected with the seasons and your environment or even just your community, you can remember things. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, so your day is full of meaning. I don't know. It's to, it's so interesting. Or more experience. Yeah. So, Melissa, what does the good dirt mean to you just as an idea? Yeah. You know, it's really funny. I feel like, you know, when you have those days where you're out, you are physically working. Like maybe it's in the garden. Like maybe we have a wood-burning fire stove. So in the summertime, we're getting the wood split and stacked and dried for winter. But you have you come to the mm-hmm. end of the day and like you are dirty. I mean, your clothes are yeah. dirty. You've sweated. There's dirt under your fingernails. But it's like, it's that good dirt feeling. You're like, man, I am filthy, but look what I did. And I'm tired, but it feels so good. It's that satisfaction. Yeah, that, that is, that's a good dirt. <laughs> yeah, I love that answer. That is also, it is the best feeling. And you sleep good and your food tastes better because <laughs> you're hungry. The good dirt of living close to the earth. Yeah. Yes. Literally yeah. on you. <laughs> yes, literally. Yeah. Yeah, literally. <laughs> All over, covered in it. (laughs) Yes. So in closing, is there anything else you want to touch on? Or we like to ask, what do you most want the audience to understand about what you do? Yeah, I think, I mean, we covered a lot. (laughs) We went went everywhere today. We did. We went everywhere. But I think one thing is to give yourself grace wherever you're at. Because it can be really easy to listen to this or to follow this and be like, oh, man, I'm still buying Twinkies or I'm still buying Oreos or, or whatever. Give yourself some grace. Um, Nobody is perfect. None of us are doing this perfectly at all. And then just try to do like one thing better. And your one thing may be different than my one thing. But giving yourself grace, but also striving to make small incremental improvements daily and weekly because it's those little tiny things that add up and actually make big changes. I like to use a metaphor like you work out once a month you probably ain't going to build a lot of muscle or lose any weight. But if you work out three days a week or five days a week, you're probably going to see a a difference in endurance and, you know, muscle tone, like all those things. Just do those little things that you can every day and don't sweat it if you miss up, you know, if you mess up or you aren't all of a sudden bringing a milk cow home. Like, don't worry about that. (laughs) Just focus on what you can do, small little things every day. They will add up. Oh, that's so great. That's such a good reminder. You need to tell us where people can find you and about that. And what if people want to join the Pioneer Academy? I think I saw that there's a wait list right now. Tell us about that. Yeah. So the best place to find me and everything that I've got going on is at my website, melissacanorris.com. And you'll see a button there for the Pioneer Today Academy. We're not open for new members at this exact moment, but you can get on the wait list. So you'll just click the button that says join the wait list, pop in your email and name. And then as soon as we open again, for enrollment, you will get the email with the first option to join. That sounds nice. terrific. And you can plug your podcast and any social or anything that you're on as well. I have a feeling if you're listening to this podcast, you probably like to yeah. listen to other podcasts. That's how I am. Like I podcasts are like my learning medium. I always have one on when I'm doing any chores or driving. So the Pioneering Today podcast with Melissa K. Norris is my podcast. I'm very active on Instagram as well as the YouTube show that we do weekly every Wednesday. So whatever you're 
preferred modem of getting information is, I probably have you covered. Great. Awesome. Oh, that sounds also great. And thank you so much for being with us today and taking the time to talk with us and all your great advice and information. And we will be in touch and we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was so much fun. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Dirt Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll share it with a friend to spread the good dirt. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow-living lifestyle community, and the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on the good dirt. Goodbye.